0: Well, this is different, right? Um, but I, I've got to say that these are, uh, these are exciting times. And unsettling, and um, I don't want to use the word fearful, but just unexpected, right? I think in the last three to four weeks, there's been so many changes that it's hard to imagine where we get this... Well, hold on. Uh oh. Not yet. It's moving here, but not here. Okay. It's hard to know where we get this 2020 vision thing, right? In a sense, there's this idea at the beginning of the year that what we did was we said, it's the year 2020 and we've got this, we're going to narrow in and focus on what this thing is that God is doing. And then everything so rapidly started to change within our culture. It started to change within our personal lives because our jobs are now, you know, fluctuating. And if we have one, if we can be working and so I look at this 2020 thing, and for a minute there I thought, like, how does this seem like this narrowed focus of something that God is doing that we're going to be able to see but I, I think that the message that I have today is going to bring this more into focus. I know that there's that, that saying that says, uh, hindsight is 2020, and that has always been the case in my personal life, that when I look back, I see the hand of God in everything, and I think that's exactly what we're going through and what we're going to experience today. So I have been preparing for this sermon for about, I guess, three months now. Right, and so this was before I knew, um, or any of us knew, that uh, Pastor Kurt and Julie were transitioning out. We knew that at some point, you know, God was going to be uh, making some changes, but it happened uh, relatively quickly for some of us, and then we had the uh, um, the thought that we would. Uh, have, you know, Josh and Justine here, and, and, and that was something that, you know, we were prayerful about and so forth, and, and then uh, that didn't happen, and so we, we end up with all of these different transitions, and then the coronavirus shows up, right, and changes our world, actually, right, not just uh, where we are as a church like Sam, but all of our churches and the entirety of the world. And so when I was preparing for this sermon, I'm thinking like, I was preparing for months. How relevant could it be today what I was already preparing back then? And what I realized as I continued to study was it is exactly where the Lord would have us. And it's amazing how he does this thing where where we start to prepare for something and, and not knowing in advance what it is, but yet he's right there the entire time. Justine said a few weeks ago when she preached that because of these changes that were going on in in our church that it was possible that the sermon that she preached was her last sermon. And I feel very... Uh, much the same. I mean, what we've done as a body here at Lake Sam is, is rise up people with certain giftings and, and allow them in a risky way, in some cases, to do what they're doing and, and walk into their, their giftings. But, you know, our new pastor, and, and we'll support whatever uh, the new pastor is, is going to call us to do, but he may have a different idea. And so when I was preparing this sermon, I prepared this sermon as if it possibly was or is my last sermon. So I'm going to give it all I have. I have a huge question. Do you desire a life in God that you have not been able to get to? Do you desire a life in God that you know is out there, that but for whatever reason, you just haven't been able to achieve or get to? I'm going to show you how to get there today. I have another question, and I want this particular question to sort of just be uh, tinkering around inside your head throughout the time that I'm preaching this message. and And the message is this: hmm. Click for me. Are we believers or followers? You can be one or the other, just so you know. You can be a believer. Matter of fact, Jesus says that demons believe and they tremble. You can be a follower, which means that you just sort of cruise along with the crowd, but not actually fully believe. I think that most of us would like to say that we'd love to be both. We want to be believers and we want to be followers. But I want this particular question to just sort of be tinkering around while I'm preaching this sermon. And here's the thing, so after, what we've been doing here at Lake Sam is we started in the book of Genesis, and we've been walking through this entire history of the, uh, the Jewish people, right, the Hebrew people. And what, what I've found in this is very similar to what I find in my personal life and in the lives of others that I've actually been able to be a part of. And this is what I have found, is that my conclusion is that we are a fickle people, right we we tend to be extremely invested and gung ho during these emotional moments where we see vision and we're completely invested and we can't wait to be a part of whatever this thing is but then somewhere down the line we sort of lose heart and things change and we're not completely in the same place as we once were think about the new year's resolutions that we've made before right like this year we're gonna diet or exercise or whatever and we see what the end result of that is gonna look like and what it might feel like to be in that particular place, whatever that may be, and yet when hardship comes or when resistance comes, we sort of just fizzle out and fade away. You know, I think sometimes that when hardship arises, we believe that maybe This is God reshaping our vision. We believe that maybe God's voice is in that particular thing to change what originally he had said because now that there's something difficult going on, maybe that just means that he's doing something different and I'm not sure where I fit into that anymore. I was invested and I did want to be a part of it, but all of a sudden I feel like maybe that calling wasn't really for me. Maybe it was for other people. I think that through opposition and resistance, right, challenges, change, fear, doubt, and sometimes just pure selfishness, it reshapes our resolve to do what he's clearly already asked us to do. See, I think that we filter God's calling through a lens that is tainted by our vision of what we believe it's supposed to look like. And that is where we are going today. Let's pray. Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And this message that you have, Lord, I want it to be your message. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that this will impact the people listening in a way that speaks to them through you, that I get out of the way and that everything that you've Uh, Cultivated inside this message over the months, Lord, be what you want to communicate. Love you, Lord. I know that you're faithful and you always show up for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So, where we are, click. Try it again. Okay. Oh, look, there it goes. It is. Okay, so where we are in the scriptures and where we've, we've led up to thus far is this place where the, um, the Israelites, I'm going to use them as a broad term because technically it was a southern kingdom, but the Israelites are taken away into captivity by the Babylonians, right? So King Nebuchadnezzar comes, he destroys uh, Jerusalem and destroys the temple for the most part, and he takes away everybody into captivity. Now we know through scripture that they were to be there for 70 years and then they were going to be allowed to come back. So what what? What happens is King Cyrus, a Persian king, he becomes the new um, superpower of the time. And so what happens is King Cyrus allows for the Jewish people to go back and rebuild the temple. Unheard of, right? When King Nebuchadnezzar came, he took away all the gold and silver and articles and and artifacts that were inside the temple and he stored them for himself. But what we know happens in the book of Ezra is that King Cyrus, in his first year of his reign, he allows for the Jews to go back and rebuild the temple and he gives them all of these materials back so that they could do this amazing thing. So almost 50,000 people at the time were super excited Right, And they were gung-ho And they were going to go and do this amazing calling That God had for them And they were going to resettle in their towns And they were going to build God's temple And that's exactly what they did To the point where they finished the foundation And after the foundation was laid You had the people who had previously seen What the old temple looked like During this festival They were like mourning Because it wasn't anything like It once used to look like But then there was another group of people that were like, oh my gosh, we finally get to worship in this new way that we never experienced before. And so it was loud and it was, people were excited, but they were mourning and there was all of this stuff going on. And the the previous people looked back and saw the glory of what God once did, what he did before that they witnessed. And they couldn't believe that this smaller thing was what God was doing. But what we do know is that out of this smaller temple, out of this smaller thing, and and how culture moved forward during that time, that the synagogue communities were established. And and believe it or not, even though the Pharisees get a bad rap, they actually were on fire for the Lord, and, and they really wanted to get it right. And so one of the things that happened was they no longer dealt with idolatry. And they really got into the word, and things did change, and it was just different. But during the time that they returned to do this amazing thing, they had opposition. And the people of the time around them, they set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Key words here are discourage, afraid, work against, and frustrate. Have we experienced any of those things? And even recently, any of those things have we been struggling with? Have we been discouraged or afraid, felt worked against, or just frustrated? This whole thing that's going on, I've had a bunch of these emotions, you know? Um, In addition to all of this stuff some political things had shifted and changed and what had happened was the king that sent, sent the edict for them to go ahead and rebuild the temple that king was no longer in power and there was a new uh political system in power and people were complaining about these jewish people who once used to be very rebellious And they used to be a problem for all other uh, superpowers of the time. And they complained that if these people were to rebuild their temple and they were to do this new thing, that possibly they would become a problem. So because of that, policies were put in place that made them have to stop what they were doing. And so as a result, they kind of put it on the back burner. They put the building of the temple on the back burner and things just changed. After some time passed in this particular uh, era, a couple of preachers show up, right? Specifically Haggai, right? Haggai and Zechariah. And when they showed up, they had a message for the people. And this is where I particularly was reading in my personal devotional, and I hit these speed bumps. And so If you read the book of Ezra, it talks about this story that I've been communicating, but there were the prophets that showed up during this time, and they're found almost at the very end of the Old Testament, so in the book of Haggai, specifically. And the speed bumps that I encountered were these. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. They didn't actually say like they didn't want to do it. They didn't say they weren't going to do it. They just kind of got busy doing their own thing and they decided that it just wasn't time yet to do what God had already previously asked them to do. But you know what? God had something to say about that. He says, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai and he said, is, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin. I don't know what paneled houses mean, but it seems like something a little extra, right? Not just your regular house, but your house that has things that are special just for you. Like maybe you went a little uh, beyond taking care of your needs. When I was 18, I gave my life to Christ. And I, I was a mess. I was living on the streets and I was struggling with drugs and I actually lived in people's garages and I would sleep in laundromats because that's where it was warm. And I had a dramatic conversion experience when I gave my life to Christ. And this thing that God did inside me was so huge and so amazing that I could not contain it. There was no way for me to hold that in and just let it be my own experience. It needed to be shared with other people. And I remember I used to make uh, uh, Bible tracks, my own Bible tracks. I actually would print them and then flip them and print the other side and cut them up. I used to sneak into high schools and put them in people's lockers. I used to um, wait till high, you know, schools got out and when the kids walked down the street, I would pass out Bible tracts. I would pray for people and people would get saved and God was doing all this amazing stuff. And I was on fire for whatever it was that he wanted for me to be doing. But then I noticed that not all other Christians behaved like I did. Like, not everybody seemed to have the same sense of zeal or the same driven uh, spirit in it. And I figured that maybe, you know, maybe I'm just extra. I remember even being criticized by other Christians saying, oh, you just need to calm down. You know, this whole idea that what I was doing was somehow not what God wanted me to do because I was too zealous for the Lord. And so as a result, what happened for me was that I slowly didn't fall away from the Lord. I was still completely a believer, but I sort of did what other people were doing. I would show up for church, right? I had my little community of of, uh, people that I um, did my faith with, but there was something missing. I remember watching how other people were... Uh, doing business and they were successful in whatever it was that their endeavors were. They, you know, wanted to have what the world had to offer and they also wanted for God to be a big part of who they were as well. And I felt like maybe that was where I should sort of land. And the thing was that during this time, there was what we called the, um, the prosperity doctrine or the word faith movement was becoming stronger and stronger. If you know the name it and claim it, right? Or the blab it and grab it, whatever you want to call it. And so I remember feeling like maybe what is really fulfilling is to have all of the stuff that the world has to offer, use God like a divine vending machine of some kind and get everything that I can that the world has to offer and somehow God blessed me in that and in doing that and somehow that brings that fulfillment, right? So I did that. I pursued that. Right? I went ahead and uh, um, over the years, I, I opened uh, my own business and I was successful. I did um, you know, high rise windows, doors, and glass, literally throughout the whole West Coast all the way down to San Diego. And um, I was very successful financially. And I, you know, I had a couple dozen employees. I, I, I was the richest person that I knew, okay? And there's a variety of degrees of wealth, but I was the, the richest person that I knew. And just to give you a little bit of understanding of what that really means, I'm going to, and you got to take this, knowing where my heart is in this, I'm going to just share some of the, the things that I believe God was blessing me with that were creating an emptiness, right? So I owned multiple houses and I was flipping houses at the time I was living in San Diego. And um, I... I, had a, I owned a Dodge uh, Viper truck, the SRT10. I had a Chevy Silverado that was you know, uh, lifted. I had a BMW X5. Um, I had a, a Toyota Tacoma that I only bought to put sand paddles on. So when I would go out to the desert, I would have something with air conditioning and so I could listen to music. I, um, I had three uh, quads, a motorcycle, um, two little dune buggies that were Honda Pilots, And then I had a $100,000 sand car that had a Corvette motor in it that would go 100 miles an hour and you could pop the clutch and do wheelies with five people in it, right? In addition to that, I had a yacht, which was small, right? But it was considered a yacht because it was 30 feet. You could sleep people in it. It had a kitchen. It had a bathroom. It had a live bait well and you could cruise anywhere you wanted all over San Diego and to the various islands in Mexico and so on and so forth. Uh, It had a trailer that slept eight people that we would take to the desert with all of these sand toys and so on and so on and so on and so on. And I was miserable. I was so empty. Empty. And I remember after working on one of the duplexes that my brother and I bought, and I was in the backyard. And I just remember feeling so empty and wanting God so, so desperately. I believed the lie. I believed the lie that said that the world had something to offer, and when I chased the American dream and I grabbed a hold of that carrot that somehow that was going to be fulfilling, and when I reached it and I got there, it really just brought emptiness, and I had this huge God-sized hole in my heart, and I tried to fill it with every single thing I could imagine to, to close this gap, but what fills a God-sized hole. God. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it, and you can take this spiritually, or you can take this literally, but either way, my experience was that there was never enough, there was never enough, there was never enough when I was pursuing me, when I was pursuing me, and then saying, God, you could piggyback along my journey, and I can call myself a Christian, and bless me, bless me, bless me, 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 Remember that Jesus spoke about a parable, and in this parable, it's the parable of the farmer and the seeds. And Jesus says, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seeds, some fell among the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns. "'which grew up with it and choked the plants. "'Still other seed fell on good soil. "'It came up and yielded a crop "'a hundred times more than was sown. "'When he said this, he called out, "'Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear.'" This is the meaning of the parable, he says. "'The seed is the word of God. "'Those along the path are the ones who hear. "'And the devil comes and takes away the word "'from their hearts so that they may not believe "'and be saved.'" Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. As they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And I think that when when I, when I look at Scripture, especially this particular parable, where I see the majority of American Christians is in this area right here. The seed that fell among the thorns. You see, the seed actually falls under the... Uh, in the thorns and and does actually produce uh, some roots and it's growing and it's coming out of this area that's prickly. And we're supposed to be bearing fruit. We know that very clearly through scriptures, but what's happening in this is we're being choked. I was being choked. And the fruit that was supposed to nourish me and the fruit that was supposed to be available for other people to come and and eat from, to be blessed by, they would be prickled as well. I know that in John chapter 15, you can look at this when you want, we are told that God is our gardener and Jesus is the vine. And I really think that when we call on the gardener, he has this way of of taking away this stuff that's just choking and ruining and and creating this mess in our lives. You know, there's this uh, scripture that I think is super pertinent, right? Remember the first question I asked when I started, I says, Are you a believer or a follower? right? And what I know that Jesus says, let me go back here. Sorry, guys. Give me a sec. Got a little Well, let me just tell you what it says, okay? (laughs) Sorry, guys. Yes. Okay. Okay. Jesus says, sorry. Jesus says to the Jews who believed, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we oftentimes hear this term, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. I was told that, you know, it's on uh, college pamphlets and all of this other stuff. The truth will set you free. But what I read in scripture is this, that to those who believed in him, he says, if you hold to my teachings, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You see, God has a plan for every one of us, right? To do his will and to follow him. But the knowledge in and of itself of the truth isn't what brings us freedom. It's that participation piece. So there was this time in my personal life, right? Where I had to get to this place where I knew that like my believing and my following sort of needed to match up. You know, right now, guys, we are in this unprecedented time. And, and most of us here were experiencing a lot of uncertainty, right? Definitely uh, difficulty and frustration, discouragement, hardship, fear. And these areas that we are uh, experiencing, God completely has a plan to bring us through the other side. But there's this other spot, and I, I, I kind of, Jumped around here and found my found my other slide. There's this other spot about um, this area of maturity. Maturity. How long should it take? Do you think for us as Christians to mature? Like, how long do you think once we get saved and we start to follow, it should take for us to be in a place where we are no longer needing milk? How long should it be for those of you mothers out there who've uh, had children and have nursed children? How long should it be for you to be nursing your children? So I had this uh, job one time in Chelan, Washington, and we were doing this job, and these people were, they were kind of hippies, like to be honest, you know. And they had a couple kids, and uh, one of them was like four or five years old. And I remember he was whining and saying he was thirsty, and he wanted milk, right? And I thought, that's just kind of weird, whatever, right? So I went along and, you know, did my work, and then later I walked in the room. And, and so the mother is in the corner on the couch, nursing this, this boy, not a child, not a baby, nursing this, this boy, like he had teeth, like it just seemed, you know what I mean? Like at some point, somewhere down the line, like we, there's this area of maturity that just needs to start to, to happen. And so I remember like in my personal life, I got to this place where I, I just, I knew that I needed to uh, grow up. I needed to b- abandon all of my old ideas of what it was to be a Christian and what it was to, uh, to be a believer or a follower or a believer and a follower and fully get to this different place. And there's a scripture that sort of talks about that, right? And in Hebrews, it says that in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you the Elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There's a cost There's a cost to uh, getting to the place where God is calling you to go. And this was my cost. So I told you about all of my stuff and sort of just painted a picture of this life that I once had. And I was empty and I was lonely and I couldn't fill it with enough. And so uh, drinking was a part of my story too, you know. I couldn't get it anywhere else. Uh, drinking, you know, I struggled with that. But I remember while working on the duplex in the, you know, in the backyard that I, pray, I prayed this prayer and I remember specifically saying that, Lord, and be careful what you pray for because he will give it to you if it's in his plan. But this is what I said. I said, Lord, if it your will, that you take everything from me so that I can be back into a relationship with you. I'm willing to do anything that it takes to get there. And ironically, we were right before 2008 and God times everything because he knows everybody's heart and he's working everything out at all times for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And so God knew in advance. So right before, it was end of uh, 2006 and in Southern California, things were kind of happening first before they trickled down to the complete bust of 2008. But I remember praying that God do whatever it took to bring me back into relationship with him. And six months later, I found myself living with my mother in her 1,200 square foot house and the creditors coming and taking Everything. Come get this, come get that, you know? And it was the absolute best thing that ever could have happened to me. You see, God is always working for the betterment of our good in everything. And though it seemed at the time that all of the stuff that I had was gonna bring some kind of fulfillment, it never really did. And God knew that for me personally, in order to bring me back into the full relationship he wanted for me, I had to go through this particular thing. You know, we're all in um, kind of the same boat right now, today. We're in the same boat as, uh, as a church. As far as where we are with this coronavirus and everything else, we're in the same place there as well. Um, how, we, how we operate in and through this is, is a different story, I remember a story that uh, we, we know that there are three accounts in the gospels of Jesus walking on water. And if you remember the story where they were all in a boat together as well, right? I'm going to go through these real quick because I think it's really important that we see what, what really was going on here. In the gospel of Mark, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake And he was alone on land. He was Jesus. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. John says when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set out across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Three to four miles. Remember, Jesus was sitting on the shore, on the land. And you wonder well, he saw them struggling. The wind was pushing and they were rowing and they were tired and they were being buffeted by the waves. Why didn't he just stop it all? Couldn't he have just ceased from all of the the wind and made the the water calm in in an instant? But yet what we see is that Jesus is actually on the land and he's seeing all of this happen. Now remember that the disciples had just watched Jesus feed 5,000 people. Right? So it wasn't as if they weren't familiar with the fact that Jesus could do anything he wanted. If there was a miracle to be had, he was the guy to do it. Even though they didn't completely know who he was yet, they knew that, that they had seen all of this other amazing stuff that he had done. Jesus immediately said to them, after he was walking on the water and they they knew, okay, it's not a ghost. We're a little freaked out. The wind and the waves are, things are blowing and the waves are choppy. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. So this whole time, the boat was being buffeted, Jesus is standing on the water, and, and, and who knows what the waves looked like then, and, and Peter was gonna walk out to Jesus, and we have this image, at least I used to have this image, that Peter was walking on the water and it was crystal clear glass. He, he stood up in the boat and he went, yep, I'm gonna just step right out into that, and that's not what the Bible tells us. The wind and the waves were still happening, it was still dangerous, it was still tumultuous. And Peter went like this on a rocky boat and he stepped out in faith because he saw Jesus was right there. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. The worship team could come up. Sometimes, most of the time, difficulty, straining, hardship is what God is using to build us into the people He wants us to be today. You see I think that I think that God is recommissioning us in the original vision. His call and his vision has never changed. It's never changed. Where we are today is dicey and it feels uncertain. But what I know to be true in the Lord is that he is always doing stuff and he is always showing up. Every one of us has a place in him that we need to step out of the boat and allow for him to be there for us. Every single one of us has a place where God is asking us to step out of the boat. It may be something that he's asked you to do for a really long time. It may be something that he's asked you to stop doing for a really long time. I want you to take this moment and reflect on what it is in your personal life that God might be knocking on your heart for, and You might want to hunker down in the boat and wait for the wind and wait for the waves and wait for things to settle down before you make the decision to do whatever the thing is that God's been asking you to do. But what I think he's doing is he's saying, I want you to stand up in the midst of the storm and I want you to trust me and I want you to step into that water and I want you to move forward because I've got you. And if you remember, Peter actually started to sink a little bit. So it wasn't perfect. He didn't do it perfectly, but he, by faith, stepped out of the boat knowing that Jesus was right there. And as soon as he started to look and see everything around him that was dissettling, he started to sink, and Jesus was right there, and he lifted him right back up. Take this time and reflect with the Lord while the worship team is playing if there's a spot that you know god has been doing and calling and knocking step out don't worry about what's going on around us this virus did not take god by surprise it wasn't like he was like boy where did that come from no 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 not our god that whatever the thing is and we all I think have them that you tell somebody that you share with somebody what the thing is I know that this streaming thing and the social distancing is just different you know but God is doing stuff he's refining his remnant And I think what he's saying very clearly is, I've commissioned you to go build my house, to build a temple, to go and do what I've asked you to do. And that call has never, ever, ever, ever changed. And now more than ever, what he's saying is, are you ready to step out into the the tumultuous waters and trust me? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We believe you, Jesus, we believe you. We believe you that you've got us. We believe you that you can calm the storm. We know that if we step out, even when the storm is raging, that you are there for us. So what we do today and what we do right now is we reach our hand out to you and we step out in faith and we say, Lord, hold us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, on you, O God. Lord, for everybody who has made a commitment today or has made the decision in their heart to do the thing or to stop doing the thing or whatever the thing is that you have been putting on their heart, Lord God, I pray that you seal that by the power of the Holy Spirit inside them and that they move and operate within that and they get accountable, oh God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.